Welcome to the Women's Cycling Weekly Podcast. My name is Amy and I'm joined by Tilda as always. Hey Tilda. Hey Amy, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Back in the UK for a week, it's very cold and wet. Yes, that's exactly what it's like now. It's be like this till uh, two weeks in June and then back back the same again. <laughs> well, okay, I'll book my flights for those two weeks in June. <laughs> yeah, pretty quiet week in the world of women's cycling. Um, not much to report on this week's news, but we do have a really exciting guest, which we'll tell you about in a minute. But first up, let's get the headlines from this week. First of all, uh, the team formerly known as Roland Cogas Adelweiss. Am I saying that right? <laughs> That's literally your like specialist subject. In fact, you can take this. What's going on over there? In truth, I don't know how you pronounce the middle word. I always say Cajas. I always read it in Spanish. Okay. That might be. And then me just going straight in. Yeah. And then it's Edelweiss. It's a very there German Swiss. Sorry, French I'm word. not. I'm not. A, yeah, I don't speak German. <laughs> but it is. Honestly, if Tilda was on Mastermind, this would be her specialist subject. Pronunciation. Oh, no, right. this yeah. team. <laughs> or pronunciation, I guess. Is that, can you do that as a specialist subject? No, I, I shouldn't think so. No um yeah what's cracking over there uh, yeah so when they first formed uh well when they first stepped up to the world tour last year they had as part of their plan they wanted to create um well the main story this week is that they've created a development team which was always in the plan they also want to create a men's team so they have big plans but yeah in in our interest is that they've created a development team on the women's side which will race at continental level um it's kind of in line with the new uci structures for continental teams um, and they have actually today announced a couple of riders. So there are some riders that are carrying on from the World Tour team will now be on the Continental team um, and a few new riders stepping up. Um, they've said they've signed riders from Afghanistan, Rwanda, Uganda and Ethiopia. So following in the footsteps of Canyon's round generation, there's some kind of diversification going on there. Um, so, yeah, I think with this new uh, development team, program the UCI hoping to encourage this will be one of the first ones alongside yeah Canyon Surround they already have nice exciting I guess yeah we're seeing those changes in action from the to the world tour that the UCI came out with so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they go next year um next up uh over at the Cyclist Alliance there's a few changes to their board Gracie Elvin, who everyone should hopefully know from freewheeling, um, as well as multiple other things, um, will step down after five years on the board of directors. And she's going to be replaced by Leah Coachman, who you'll probably also recognize, um, former rider. As well as that, um, the rider council representative, so the current pro who kind of speaks on behalf of the peloton to TCA, as far as I understand, that's their role. Um, to represent the riders, obviously, as it says in the tin, um, was Marina Voss, but she stepped down and has been replaced by Ali Wollaston. Speaking of Marina Voss, um, she's going to debut that rainbow jersey that she won over in Fayetteville last year um, for the first time this, well, next week in the Netherlands. So we're going to see that in action. And then she's going to race the next World Cup in, oh God, in where? <laughs> <laughs> 
Michelin. Mars Michelin. The Mars next, Michelin. the next World Cup. Next weekend, we'll somewhere in. In the Netherlands. I don't, I don't even know if it's Belgium or Netherlands. I'm assuming it's the Netherlands. You've written the Netherlands, so hopefully it's the Netherlands. Excellent. It sounds like it. Let's go with yes. that. <laughs> um, and speaking of cross, uh, Femme Van Empel won the last World Cup. Um, she's on a bit of a roll lately. Um, I mean, it's only been two, but pretty impressive still, considering her tender age of, I think, 20 it is. Mm. And she's beaten some like pretty world class, well, some actual world class people in the form of Lucinda Brand and like Denise Betzema and etc. So yeah, uh, that's that result. And last up, we've got a an interesting sign-in for SD Works in the form of Barbara Gorishi, um, which is probably got something to do with Lorena Weebiz, seen as Gorishi's kind of a sprinter herself she'll probably be forming part of the lead out for weavers you would imagine and that is it anything to add no i'm actually <laughs> glad it's been a slightly quieter week news wise yeah sometimes there's too much to cover sometimes it's too much to keep up with but we do our best okay so our guest who's our guest this week tilda this week we have joining us danny christmas who when you hear her voice uh, in the next few moments, you'll probably recognise, if you don't already recognise the name, because she has done a lot of the commentary over on GCN this year on a lot of the women's world races and also a couple of men's races. Um, she is a former rider. She retired last year. Before she was a rider, she was a runner, um, and she was one of those who kind of converted to cycling after injury, um, which she did in 2015, and then she joined the professional peloton in 2018. Rode for four seasons with teams like Lotto Sudal and Nicole Wahoo. And then, yeah, last year was her final season. And instead of having a little break from cycling or anything like that, she got straight into it with uh, commentating over at GCN and also uh, DSing with the Cam's Basso team, which is a UK continental women's team. So, yeah, we had a pretty um interesting conversation with her about a lot of things both about her career and also kind of her take on current issues in cycling um so yeah it was a very interesting conversation and nice to hear a bit more about her we hear her voice a lot but not often about what she's up to so yeah we really hope you enjoy hearing from Danny and here she is welcome to the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast Danny Christmas um how are you today on this Monday morning? I'm good, thank you. Better than the weather because it is raining and it feels like winter is on its way. But um, yeah, I'm good. Excited for this. Oh, whereabouts are you? Because where I am, it's sunny and I'm actually not in Spain for once. So, um, Well, I'm in rainy Surrey at the moment. So down mm. south. Well, I'm up north actually. So I don't know how that's happened because it's not normally that way. Till you don't have like, to keep this weather shining. um yeah so for anyone who doesn't know um which you should uh Danny is a former pro who has since after retiring last year is that correct you retired last year yeah um has been commentating DSing and maybe more things I don't know we'll find out and uh we just yeah we want to talk to her about some of her career and also kind of that 
transition from racing to um life after racing because it can be quite difficult for some people um but Danny seems to be thriving so yeah let's get to it um I guess it, we should probably start by asking you a little bit about your career kind of like how you got into the sport um and where things went from there um well I started cycling pretty late in life actually because I was a I was an 800 meter runner um and did yeah but that's basically how I saw my life going was that I was gonna compete internationally as a track and field athlete and everything was going great and then the kind of usual story of (laughs) injury illness and and all of that kind of stuff so went for a pretty tough time um in in my life in general that kind of led me to not being able to run for I think it was about 18 months and I got a bike just to help with the recovery process and fast forward <laughs> a few years I decided yeah I was going to give cycling a go and had moved to Belgium and uh, yeah I was trying to make my way as a professional cyclist um, I think yeah the transition from athletics to cycling for me was very much I I was done with athletics but I wasn't done with trying to achieve my personal goals of kind of being the best athlete I could be and I just picked another vehicle for that um I (laughs) tried really hard not to underestimate how hard it would be to swap sports but I definitely did underestimate it um so it was the technical aspects that were challenging for me but yeah after after a number of years so probably how long four or five years of complete competing for various club teams around Europe I uh moved to Biscaya Durango which Spanish squad was my first UCI team um kind of progressed there to Lotte Sudal which was it was my dream team to be on um having spent much of my early career trying to learn the craft in Belgium um Lotte was the team that I wanted to go to so spent a couple of years there unfortunately the the setup at Lotto was kind of ripped from underneath us a bit so the team kind of disbanded um it still exists now we're just in a different uh kind of formation um and yeah I kind of at the end of 2020 I actually I stopped um I was done with just the way that the the team kind of ended and stuff so yeah it was again it was kind of that I felt like another career had been taken almost. So yeah, it was I got a job, da da da, and then uh, Bob Varney. <laughs> he kept calling and calling. Um and yeah, I wasn't gonna ride in 2021. Um, but then I just found myself on the phone to Bob in sort of December, having not <laughs> not really trained for the first part of the winter and uh yeah, I, I heard myself agreeing to ride for the team, but it didn't really match up with the the thought process that I was having in my mind because I would I would kind of stopped in my mind. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm really glad that I did. I rode with uh, with Drops Le Col for 2021. Um, and it was just a nice way for me to kind of finish my cycling career a bit more on my own terms as opposed to a team sort of stopping um so that was nice a nice way to round out the yeah my kind of cycling career I guess um 
and got to finally ride the women's tour, which was the one race that I'd kind of been missing, um, having always ridden for, for sort of smaller foreign teams that never got the opportunity to ride the women's tour. So it was, I had to wait until October of 2021 to actually do it. It was miserable, much like the weather that we've got at the moment for a lot of it. But yeah, it was really nice to kind of finish off um, in that way. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my my uh, last season was 2021. Um, I did some stuff in my bike racing career, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, formed some really good good partnerships with my teammates kind of out on the road. And I kind of, I guess I slotted more into that domestique role, um, having performed well individually kind of in the early part of my career, kind of different situations and circumstances led me to actually taking a lot of pleasure in in helping others to achieve um that's something that I've always enjoyed doing so yeah I guess that was my main sort of forte as a rider did you know going into 2021 that it would just be one last season or did you kind of think about carrying on any further um yeah I mean in my mind it was I didn't I didn't I think never say never is probably the (laughs) the the best uh description of it but yeah it was it was a challenging year because I was working full-time as well and so when you're trying to work full-time um more like time and a half because I had a full-time job but then I also I am heavily involved with like community projects in my local area and coaching and so forth so for the most part I was working sort of 70 hour weeks which when you try and race on the world tour level races you get your ass kicked a bit so um yeah it was I didn't need to do another year like that so unless I was uh I mean it would be obviously very difficult then to perform well that would mean that you'd get a contract with another team or whatever so I kind of went into it with I just want to enjoy these races a bit more and kind of yeah as I say kind of finish on my own terms a bit more um so that was nice it was nice to do you know kind of a last hurrah in various races and actually get to see my friends in the bunch and you know say goodbye to them a bit more as opposed to yeah, we get to the end of the year and it's done. <laughs> and then, you know, fit, having those kind of bitter feelings, I guess. So it was nice to enjoy some of the racing. And I think whilst, you know, not all of the racing was enjoyable, um, I actually, in 2021, I enjoyed riding my bike more than ever. Um, so I re- I've always really enjoyed training. That's, that's always been something that throughout my life as a runner and then a cyclist, I, yeah, I love, I, I compete against myself. So training for me is, is even more of a challenge than racing because I'm always just trying to get better at what, you know, what I'm trying to do. Um, so, you know, for example, during the pandemic, I loved it. <laughs> I loved being able to just know, wow, I've got at least X amount of months where I can just train. And, you know, for some people that hated it and they have to race, race, race. But for me, I loved it and just the personal challenge. And I could actually sit down and write myself a more of a long term training plan that I believed in that I could get better and 
yeah, I kind of thrived off the back of it, really. So, yeah, I think that I did, in, I did enjoy my last year, but more like kind of outside of racing than the actual racing itself. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice and nice to rekindle that love for the bike as well, because, yeah, as I say, like, you know, Lotto Sidal for me was, it was the particularly in 2020 we had the best team (laughs) and we were all so happy together and you know we were we all wanted to stay together as a unit um and yeah it was just the team dynamics was brilliant and so when you have like what you kind of consider to be our I don't know if we could get better than this in terms of like the personalities that are in the team and how we started like really gelling together on and off the bike that yeah, when you then go to another setup, it's always hard to to beat that, particularly if you look back through rose tinted glasses as well. So, yeah, I feel like I've just rabbled a lot in that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. It's all it's all really interesting, and um, I didn't realize kind of the way things that would had ended for Lotto. Um, and do you think that if you hadn't had that year on drops do you think your relationship to the bike or to the sport would have been different after retirement yeah I think so um I think grad it probably would have taken longer for me to mentally kind of accept um the sport a bit I guess um and it all sounds very dramatic but um yeah I think that uh the way that certain people were treated um it kind of yeah it wasn't the sport that was treating people badly it was other people treating other people badly um but yeah I'm sure I know you raced Amy I'm sure you know that the um the realities of cycling it's not what you see on Instagram of you know everyone just posts lovely things pictures of them cycling in the mountains and so forth and then when you go to races like it's hard (laughs) it's it's not glamorous you know you rock up to a a so-called professional race in France and you're staying in a school um with like five other people in a room like you know some of this it's you have to really love it and like really want to do it to go anywhere in the sport and there's a lot, you know, it is brilliant. It's brilliant at the same time. But if you're not loving it, it's like you're not going to last very long. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, if I hadn't had a year where I could just enjoy riding my bike a bit more and, and see some of the good in cycling again, then, yeah, as I said, at the end of 2020, I was like, I'm done with this. You know, I don't I don't need this anymore. Um and I'm very glad that that I did have the opportunity that I did <laughs> say yes to to Bob when he kept calling and uh, yeah had a had a last season there. So the thing is like because now I I I just I bloody love cycling and I love the sport. Um, and so it's it's a shame when yeah some situations can change your your attitudes. I guess. I have got very glamorous memories of like just waking up at like five o'clock in the morning to race a British national series race and having to like yeah. force feed myself porridge that's very glamorous yeah. indeed yeah. <laughs> but I think also that sort of thing applies I mean for sure on the men's side there's those kind of 
the outside image of cycling versus what's the reality but on the women's side in particular I think there's a lot of things where like you know riders aren't getting paid and the resources are a lot less and particularly the divide between now between world tour and continental level um what's your view of that kind of and throughout your career like have you experienced that or have you like what have you seen change yeah I think I mean it's brilliant the way the the sport has has developed so quickly actually you know even in the I feel like I've just kind of dipped in and out of cycling almost you know I started racing properly in 2014 and uh, retired last year but just in the time that I spent in cycling the progress has been immense um that progress it will eventually filter down to you know lower levels um but yeah there is a massive discrepancy between teams and you can see that in you know in world tour races as well that you can have the world tour teams which you know obviously there's different levels of support that you get within any world tour level team but they're also competing against continental teams that yeah some of the riders aren't paid um, and they have very limited resources. But I'd also say that, um, you know, that those teams are also really important. And it's not like that. I'm sure that every team would love to be able to pay riders, you know, what they're worth. And they would love to provide unlimited resources. But you know, if you imagine trying to find all the sponsors and, you know, the, the business model of cycling, it's, there isn't really a business model that goes with teams. You know, it's when you look at every year that the teams are up to try and find funding to allow these riders to kind of pursue their dreams. And, you know, it's not done cycling teams don't exist to make money or make a, a profit that if you think about particularly at the development level they're there to provide riders with opportunities to to progress um and so yeah you know when I was starting out I would I was approaching teams that was like I don't care if you can pay me or not I just want to get a ride I just want to be able to show what I can do um and obviously starting late in life I kind of felt like that I have I've got this potential. I just need someone to believe in me and give me, I just need a start. I just put me on the start line and I can show what I can do for the team or whatever. And I think that, yeah, it's obviously it is always seen as a negative when uh, teams don't pay their riders. Um, but they also do have a, a place, I think, that, you know, for some teams, the, they need to be a UCI team to get into into particular races that give riders that are at that currently at kind of national level international exposure so it's a yeah it's a really difficult situation and as I say I'm sure every team would love to be able to give the world to their riders um but yeah it's it's challenging you know as I say you know last year uh, when I was riding for, for Drops of Cold, none of the riders were paid. I was working a full-time job, you know, not all, well, none of the other riders were working full-time jobs, but a lot of them were working um, if they weren't supported by parents or, you know, partners, then yeah, it's 
you know for me last year racing you know I, was, I did half of the Ardennes races and all of that and of course you're going to get a kick in if I've just worked a 70 hour week and haven't had an awful lot of sleep um it doesn't matter what experience I've got I'm not going to be at the same level as um other riders that potentially even just have the same physical capabilities so yeah it's it's a challenge but yeah I, I don't it's a really difficult one isn't it um yeah it is a, a massive massive issue though in, in cycling yeah we've kind of spoken like ad nauseum about it on freewheeling the other podcasts we do and like it is a bit of a chicken and egg situation and yeah I don't really know what the answer is still I think like so you see um the Spanish Federation announced a little while ago that they would have these uh kind of minimum criteria for UCI teams in Spain and I mean yeah they were only told about these minimum uh criteria kind of in in August which if they go ahead with it that I think there will be most of the Spanish, smaller Spanish UCI teams will disappear because they're, um, yeah, if I remember correctly, it was like a minimum wage of six and a half thousand euros for every rider, which aligns with Spanish um, employment law. Every team had to have a doctor, a camper, I think was it on there. And there was like various strange criteria that they had to fulfill, which, um, if they'd been given, you know, more um, notice, they might have been able to get close to. But for a lot of teams, they just don't have the budget for it. So if you then suddenly lose a majority of those Spanish UCI teams, granted, some of them don't compete that much outside of Spain, but they won't have access to um, various UCI races either in Spain or, you know, moving over into Italy or whatever. So that reduces those opportunities for Spanish riders which it might be great for the ones that do suddenly get a bit more income but those racing opportunities and development opportunities for a whole host of up-and-coming Spanish riders have suddenly been taken away so yeah it's it's really difficult and I don't think there is a right answer to it um I think, yeah, as long as the team have the best intentions and are, you know, doing their utmost to help the riders, you know, I think you can help riders more by providing the right opportunities than by providing them with however many, you know, if it's £5,000, of course that helps. But yeah, you could actually accelerate someone's career in a in a greater way by providing them with more opportunities to learn and develop you know then they could in two years time they could have developed into a bike rider that is worthy of going to the world tour or you could have got ten thousand pounds in your pocket and not really developed all that much because you haven't had the calendar or or whatever else that the team would invest that money in so yeah i think you need to look at it in the whole picture which you can't do <laughs> in every team like we don't have a crystal ball to know what their intentions are or how they're developing riders kind of outside of racing um, but yeah well we could we could talk about this literally for a week <laughs> yeah and I guess now you've had a little bit of experience on the other side of that in team management so how did that come about kind of doing the DS side with um Cam's Basso um 
by chance <laughs> to be honest like when I first started in cycling um like when I was riding with club teams I I kind of developed this desire that it's like yeah when I stop I really want to work in kind of the management of a team um I've always had a huge background in um sports mentoring and education so um when I was running, I was mentored by Dame Kelly Holmes. Um, and she was she was my mentor since before the Athens Olympics. So for anyone that doesn't know, Dame Kelly Holmes won uh, the 800 and 1500 meters at the Athens Olympics. So she created a, a program for talented uh, young female runners. Um, and yeah, what she gave me is uh, yeah I actually I can't articulate the uh the help and support that Kelly gave me throughout my athletics career and then even when I like kind of left athletics so we're still friends to this day um and the the support that we got from it was a mentoring program called on camp with Kelly um that we did various kind of international trips and mentoring trips educational workshop days all of this stuff that kind of educated us in what it takes to be an athlete so yeah all of the subjects of you know kind of um nutrition psychology team building all of that kind of stuff um and I then worked I worked for Kelly as part of her um education team when I was kind of transitioning from athletics to cycling so we did um yeah huge amount of programs from Jaguar Academy of Sport we had mentoring programs for the Isle of Man Commonwealth Games team right, so it's something that I've worked in for a long time and I was very keen to always try and pass these kind of experiences and knowledge on to younger athletes to help them uh, progress as much as they can but to uh, just achieve whatever their potential might be and it might be that you put a lot of effort into an athlete and it's not that they actually achieve in the athletics arena but they you know they take those life skills and, and become what they want to become kind of outside of the sporting realm so um I was very keen to get involved you know when when I first started with cycling I, I could see a lot of potential of like we could really do a lot here um and yeah I, it wasn't really that I was looking to do that in a DS role necessarily but certainly in the management of a team um and yeah I guess again that kind of last sort of year of cycling you know what I mentioned we go back to the the smaller UCI team uh, races in France where you're staying in a school and you're eating you know you get a bit of baguette for dinner kind of thing it's like you have to really love this and it's like this is uh, do I want to do I want to go to all of these races when actually I don't have to go to them anymore and like that thought of being a DS was like nah nah I don't need to do it I'm doing other stuff kind of thing and then Simon from Cam's Basso called me up just kind of randomly and I didn't know Simon I didn't know I didn't have any connection to the team. I didn't know any of the girls or anything like that. And so who asked me that uh, they'd like me to, to have a go at being a DS. And I had a number of phone calls with Simon. It took a little bit of convincing almost to kind of step back into that uh, world almost. Um, 
and I'm so glad that I did um, because as soon as I decided right I'm gonna do this then it was kind of right I'm putting all of my energy into this now um, and yeah I did a, I did a couple of races with them before we kind of Oh, it was my idea that it's like let's just do a couple of races and then you'll see the way that I'm looking to work um let's see what the girl's reaction to what I want to do or you know how I think that it might work for them and then we decide kind of going forward um so I did a couple of races um and just as I said I didn't know any of the girls so had to spend a lot of time prior to the race trying to get to know what their strengths and weaknesses were and getting to know them as people as well and the buy-in from the riders was it was brilliant like from the off that they were obviously so keen to learn and sort of hung on what we were trying to do and and really bought into really working on process goals over what the outcome result would be um just because they want to get better um and so yeah after those couple of races um the second race be, we, that I did was uh Ruta del Sol now I actually picked the good races to do so I did a race in Rome and a race in Spain <laughs> so I didn't go to national series races that was the yeah <laughs> um and uh obviously that was a strategic move um and uh yeah so the, we got the best result that the team had ever got um in a UCI race so placed eighth on GC at Ruta del Sol behind riders like Mavi Garcia and Elias Sierra so it was really cool to see the way that the girls like really bought into what they're trying to do and then they I said to them look it might we not not get instant results from this but every day we checked in on this was your task like this was the goal how did you do from it and they're like yeah the positioning was so much better and you know whatever it was that we were working on for that day but they instantly saw results from it. So, um, of course, then they bought into it even more. Um, and, uh, yeah, the next race I did was the women's tour. So for me, uh, again, it was that, <laughs> that dream race of mine that it took ages for me to be able to ride the women's tour. And then suddenly sort of whatever it was eight, nine months later, I was back DSing at the women's tour, which is not something that I expected to do. Um, but again, they did brilliant there as well. So, yeah, with an unexpected route in almost. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad that I did because, well, they're stuck with me a bit now. So <laughs> we've got loads of great stuff that we can work on now to I just love trying to help them get better. And if I can make their pathway smoother um, and not have to deal with a lot of the I felt when I was riding, I was like banging my head against brick walls, almost trying to progress in the sport because I knew I could do it physically, but it was uh, other challenges that I had kind of faced along the way that if I can help those riders just in any small way to have a smoother path than what I did, then it's all worth it for me. So, yeah, again, I'm just, I'm just rabbiting now. <laughs> No, not at all. <clears throat> I feel like I should just stop speaking because my voice just keeps like going really croaky. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's it's really cool to see kind of like obviously you're talking about making it 
easier for them than it was for you and it's just really nice to see all of these former riders on the women's side coming through as ds's because i think it makes a huge difference to have someone who like understands your position um because like i don't know without sounding too disparaging like there's some male ds's in the sport who just kind of have an idea about how maybe it should be going or what they should be saying or doing and it it is different between men and women how you kind of direct people and manage people uh, and some yeah, people don't I, get that that I think that is that's the key it's like it's not it's not that you've experienced women cycling it's it's managing people and getting the best out of people and I think that yeah for me it's that's the most important thing and so I know that there's a lot of teams now that want to have female DSs and that's brilliant and it's brilliant that it becomes it can almost become a pathway and that we get more female role models um, kind of higher up in the sport but it's also you know if a team just sets out with we want to have a female DS that's positive discrimination really isn't it it's not that female DS should be employed because they're the best person for the job, in my opinion. Um, and it doesn't also mean that, you know, if you've run won 20 races, that you'll make a better DS than someone that's never won a race before. Um, it's, it's very much about, you know, in any other kind of line of management, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get the position if you weren't a good at, managing people and and getting the best out of a team um and that's i think the biggest challenge from a ds is actually getting the best out of every rider in a way that they collaborate together to get the best result for the team um and that's a skill in itself and that you don't have to be fast at riding a bike up a mountain to be able to do that um obviously it helps when you have experience of racing particular races or you know for me and you know ds's that are just starting out we're fresh out the peloton so we know the characteristics of those riders but if i continue to ds for you know 10 years most of those riders aren't going to be active anymore so that isn't really a thing it's more how you read a race and kind of the the effort that you put into preparing for the races as well that's the most important but yeah I think it's it's great that we are seeing more female role models in the sport and and like the the riders can identify with a bit more as well I hope that the riders for me kind of in in the teams that I'm working with that they feel that they can ask me about stuff like and not looking at me just as a DS but as a mentor as well so yeah I think that's where that kind of comes into play as well and one thing that kind of has has helped riders make that transition from um the peloton to DSing is the UCI DS course which you're um heading off to do so can you tell us a little bit about that and what you're kind of expecting from that that's a very good question um <laughs> and one that I'm not sure I can answer fully um yeah so the UCI sports director course um I will be be taking part in that um in a couple of weeks time so I'm really looking forward to doing that and just kind of expanding my knowledge um around almost like the logistical side of being a DS and 
I mean, I'm not sure um, you've probably at some point or other opened all of the rules and regulations of cycling as a sport from the UCI. And I mean, it doesn't make for the most riveting of reading, um, but I can assure you by the time that I've done this uh, DS course, I will know them inside out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's mad that for, you know, within British cycling and a number of uh, federations that you can actually just become a DS with no training whatsoever. Um, it, I Yeah, the process was essentially emailing in and I got my license changed and now I'm a DS. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's not, um, yeah. I think it is very much needed that we have training and particularly when you think about driving in the convoy as well that was the thing that I was I see my role as a DS it's like I've been working more on the racing side so when um the first races that we did um I I didn't drive the car I had either Simon or Andrew from the team driving the car so that um, when it was a point one race or above, I could concentrate fully on the communication with the riders and actually either, you know, if we had a live stream, you're watching that and then trying to to communicate with the riders because, I mean, for every stage, I'd go in with two pages of A4 typed notes that I would like, I'd literally be their co-pilot um, feeding them information, which you just can't do if you're driving as well. Um, but then, yeah, when I was entrusted with the team car when we went to a smaller race and driving in the convoy was the thing that I was I was most nervous about because obviously, yeah, I've ridden in the convoy plenty. I've sat in convoys in the team cars and stuff, but it's a huge responsibility when you're driving sometimes at quite high speeds um, with the potential that, you know, things can go wrong. So um, that part of it as well, you need to make sure that everybody knows exactly what they're doing and, and what the the rules and just having such awareness in those situations, because it is a dangerous situation to be in. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to report that nobody died and the team car remained in one piece. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing the sports director course because, you know, for me to start, I actually didn't, I didn't need to do any training. Um, so I think the more education that we can have um, to raise the level of, you know, the, um, the logistics, the, everyone knowing what they should be doing. But yeah, as I say, also on the kind of mentoring side, how do we get the best out of people, which I'm not sure the course actually goes into too much detail on that but yeah I will after the course as well I just I continuously try to educate myself in the best how to manage people and get the best out of people um, so I'm constantly reading and, and researching in, in different areas like that. Is it fair to say that you're somebody who's kind of always looking for a new challenge or looking for the I mean, from the sounds of things, you're 70 hour weeks last year and, and then taking this on and we haven't even touched on commentating yet, which is kind of your other job. Um, yeah, you're, you're very busy, shall we say. Um, yeah, I think busy is a fair, fair assessment. Um, yeah, I think 
for me, like what I, I guess I take that athlete mentality. You know, I've been this is the first year of my adult life that I haven't been a competitive athlete. Um, maybe I don't know, maybe it's a grieving process or something. You've got to keep yourself busy. I don't know. I think because yeah, as I said, like I was someone that always loved training. So I I always saw training as competing against myself which is also it's great but it's also quite it can be quite negative as well because you know I know what power I can do for a four-hour ride and if I was three watts off of that that's that's not good (laughs) you know so like as in I would always try and better myself um but also you know at times when I was riding full-time I would spend pretty much all of my time when I was off of the bike I'd be reading all sorts of books and and articles of yeah how how can I improve in other areas as well or just expanding my knowledge in in different areas and I was never satisfied with you know not improving in some way um it doesn't need to be athletically but yeah in my coaching or you know how can I get the best out of others so yeah I like to I don't know I guess it's kind of a growth process almost that I want to yeah I don't want to waste anything that I've got or yes kind of seek out new opportunities in that way kind of thing so yeah I was the person that like when I was at university in the summer break I do like American College of Sports Medicine uh, certificates (laughs) like that kind of thing like I want to do something else I want to achieve something else from this time so when I used to see teammates just sitting around watching Netflix all day, it used to break my heart <laughs> to see that. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm not, not the best at sitting still and, and doing nothing. <laughs> Classic athlete, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so to go back to the commentary a little bit, how did that come about then? So you've got this DS pathway coming along. You've kind of, that's, more than enough to be going along with but the commentary how did that start for you um actually the commentary came before the DSing. um so I commentated on the Sarah Tizit challenge in 2021 so when I was still uh racing um so yeah again that was kind of it was kind of by chance so Dan Lloyd just called me up and was like I'm looking for someone to commentate do you want to have a go it's like uh <laughs> I've not done anything like this before but yeah why not <laughs> let's give it a go um so I did that I did the Sarah Tizit challenge um which was the back end of of 2021 um and really enjoyed it um I really didn't know how it was going to be and I guess everyone has their own perception as to how hard or how easy it is to commentate um and yeah it was kind of my eyes were opened as to everything else that goes into the production of a bike race um so I've never actually commentated from the race side it's always been in the studio um but yeah just from from the first day when it's like oh I didn't realize that there would be people talking to me in my ear when I'm like trying to trying to talk about this race and and things like that and yeah I guess the the thought of oh, do I have to be entertaining or what do people want from this so, you know 
a lot of cycling fans get quite passionate about how you should and shouldn't talk about bike racing. So, um, yeah, it was a brand new challenge, but I, so I did the Sarah Tizit challenge and then I did the, the world champs, uh, in 2021. And I just, I, as I said earlier, I saw, I didn't really enjoy all of the racing that I did in 2021, but when I commentated on it, I came out of the booth. I was absolutely buzzing. As <laughs> I, I was like, that was so cool. Like you get, I just didn't realize how invested in the bike race I would get. Um, and so it's not for me, it's not like watching it on the TV at all. Like I, I get, if I know the riders or it's a really good race, I get invested when I'm watching it on the TV. But I think when you have to sit there and talk about a bike race for <laughs> three hours or whatever, like you get really invested in it. And um, yeah, it, you obviously hope that it's an exciting race. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a real eye opener for me. I just loved it. Um, and then, yeah, um, fortunately I got asked back to do some more, uh, this year. So yeah, I did, uh, did some really cool races and, um, I kind of just done more and more and, and also had the opportunity to do some men's races as well, which was another daunting thing <laughs> for me as well. Um, but yeah, just, I, I really love doing it and I really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it came before the DSing. So I think as well, as I said, I didn't know Simon or the team at all. And they had seen as well, you know, what I was were talking about on the on the commentary as well. And I think that also played a part in them asking me to to help the team a bit as well. Um so yeah, it's uh it's I've had more race days this year than any other any other year <laughs> that I've been I think it's like I, I did add it up the other day and I need to double check this but it was like 62 or 63 race days that I've had this year either through commentating or through um DSing which yeah it's it's a lot of race days um but even more preparation so um yeah again I'm in that kind of meticulous prep that I do for um commentating as well um so yeah I prepare as though I'm going into the race either as a rider or as a DS so I can try and know as much as I can and I think the more the years gone on I've like increased and increased the amount of prep that I do <laughs> that it becomes it becomes a bit silly at times um, the amount of prep that I do for it um but yeah that again is the athlete mentality of me I think <laughs> I think it it really shows though and I think it really benefits the races having someone who's so kind of embedded in the sport and is like a really proper um expert on it because you know even for us as fans and journalists who know quite a lot about it but also for new fans they need someone who like can really explain it um and knows the sport inside out but yeah what are the kind of you know it obviously is a big challenge, but what are the, the hardest or your kind of least favourite parts about commentary? Um, I think, yeah, as I said before, it's like it's great when the race is entertaining <laughs> or it like if the riders are riding really aggressively. You know, sometimes when we have uh, races where it's um, it's not, 
it's not exciting and you're trying to make it exciting <laughs> you know because you don't we we know how great women's cycling is 99% of the time um and when you get that 1% of the time when either the riders are like no nah, we don't want to do this <laughs> or it's you know a solo rider that you know you know that they're going to leave dangling out until 2k to go <laughs> and you've got this for three hours um there's only so much you can say about one particular rider um and there's not a lot happening that's the challenge i think as well um yeah inevitably there's times when you have technical difficulties as well um which is challenging um i've had an entire race like fired back in my ear in an echo before <laughs> you've ever spoken on the phone when you get an echo it's not it's not easy to form a coherent sentence um so yeah there's those sorts of, you know that rarely happens um but yeah I think when the racing is it rarely happens where it's not exciting but um yeah I think those are the most challenging points um but I think as well just um what you said as well about kind of explaining the sport we know that in any one broadcast that there is such an array of people from the hardcore fans that watch every kilometer of racing that you know would consider themselves to be experts or know a lot about the sport versus people that have literally just turned on the tv and it's like oh this looks quite cool we'll watch this for a bit and not know anything about the sport and so you have to put context to what's happening um in a way that will kind of draw in those new viewers that know nothing and not patronize the people that are kind of hardcore fans so i think that's a can be a, a challenge to do um and yeah from you know from some of the feedback that we get I think we do we do okay with that and obviously it's something that I want to always try and improve on of yeah please everyone all of the time isn't it which is a challenging thing to do um but yeah I think that's that's a big challenge um to to do that without kind of yeah patronizing people or losing people along the way um and trying to do it with a bit of humor or you know like making it fun to watch and and not boring the tears out of people when you're going into intricate detail of team logistics or, or what's happening on the road so yeah I think you do it really well. Like we always get very excited when you're commentating on the races. That, yeah. <laughs> but like we have to watch this for. Our, we love watching this, and we have to watch it for work. And it's at least let's have like someone we enjoy listening to, which is good. Oh, that's good. Thanks. Um, at least someone not putting it on mute when I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I suppose it's really hard as well. And like when you've got like Twitter and people can just give like instant feedback, it must be one of the reasons that I would probably not want to do that is that you just get this like you just have these voices like kind of critiquing you everyone thinks they're an expert there's plenty of like armchair experts around but anyway but what I thought was really interesting what you were saying before about um it sounds to me like the DSing and the commentating kind of complement each other a bit like you're kind of you're analyzing and learning from the racing when you're commentating, which then kind of helps the DSing, which is really cool. Actually, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. And I think I, 
I prepare for a race kind of somewhat similarly whether I'm commentating or DSing in terms of like I do an awful lot of um, preparation on on the route the parkour and kind of knowing that sort of element I do more if I'm DSing than I'm commentating but it's obviously it's it's really easy to just look at a road book and go oh yeah there's a climb at 67 kilometers but actually like if you I spend a half of my life on velo viewer um <laughs> i really need to get out more in that sense but yeah like if you can click i i when i'm dsing i click through every kilometer of the route which takes forever um when i'm commentating i tend to just look at the bits that we're actually going to show live on tv um but yeah like if you can see see all of the route from um when you use velo viewer you can look on sort of street view so actually, if you see, well, at this kilometre, the road gets really narrow. And so it's not a climb. It won't show on a profile or anything like that. But when you start seeing 5K out that the riders are all starting to battle for position, you can add context or kind of say in advance that this is likely to happen. Um, so it adds, yeah, it adds a bit of suspense. And, you know, like the viewers kind of know what to expect. Um I had I this DS will remain nameless, but I was actually speaking to one DS at a race where she was uh, she was telling me about a uh, one of the stages of the healthy aging tour that I was oh no sorry I need to use the correct words the Blow Zone of Friesland tour the <laughs> tour was that that one yeah what's yeah 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 that one that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was commentating on that and uh, she was sat in the hotel room um, and uh, I started saying something about at this roundabout like they turn left and then there's the crosswinds and she's like oh we didn't say that in the meeting and uh, she called the DS in the car and she's like they need to move up they need to move up um, and then she could see all their riders like moving up suddenly so she's like thank you so much for that um so uh, yeah I can save I can save some of the DS's some work there I guess as well I should maybe start like getting some backhanders for that I guess It'd be a way of uh, <laughs> earning some money you don't have to do the research I'll do it for you <laughs> um but yeah I think that that preparation yeah it's it's important for me also to feel confident in what I'm saying um so I'd never just go in and like try and blag anything because it doesn't work and I don't feel confident in what I'm saying so yeah I'd also research try and research all of the riders as well which is a lot of riders to research um so yeah obviously the more races that you do um the better it is um but yeah I mean particularly you know when I did Tour de France Femme um it was I had a paragraph on every rider and just trying to get to know them a bit more um just in case you know they're in a breakaway and you have to talk about them for a bit you know you don't just want to say they came fifth in this race and 20th in that race try and add a bit more context to if they do anything else in life or you know kind of add some color to what what's happening so yeah there's a lot of preparation um that I put into it um but yeah it's nice to know that it uh, kind of shows in that sense so yeah. no definitely and I think like when someone hasn't it can also show so like I think yeah, it sounds like you've got, I mean, we think we know a lot about the women's person. You must have like an encyclopedia in your brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
my uh, 2022 document is is pushing on 96 pages now I think so yeah I'm not going to wow. pretend that that's all my own stuff but uh yeah <laughs> yeah it's um it's quite long um, but yeah it's uh again it's something that I want to do the best job possible so um I also see it's a responsibility as well um that you know we want to portray women cycling in the best way and so yeah I think you know some races you feel more responsibility than others and yeah obviously I was uh, I was so happy that I got to be able to work on the on the Tour de France fam of X Swift that yeah kind of the week before that I think all of us that were were covering the race you start to feel like I feel like I could prepare for this race for another three months and not feel like I've done enough um because yeah the the level of responsibility that we felt kind of going into the race that we know what a monumental moment for women's sport it is as well so yeah that was uh I think I don't normally get nervous before commentating but I think all of us you know you had to take an extra deep breath before we started with that and I mean it was awesome I absolutely loved it um and yeah I don't think we felt nervous during it but yeah it was certainly leading up to the race that it's like yeah we definitely need to do a good job on this to to do it justice and obviously all of the riders and teams are prepared for the last year of you know knowing that they were going to ride it everyone wants to do it and now we need to do a good job kind of in the polishing of like this is what's going out to everyone now so yeah but that was that was a pretty cool uh pretty cool race to work on yeah I think we can relate to that a bit Tilda I think like that that it's definitely true that the race felt a bit it was like women's cycling is now being put on this global Mm -hmm. stage and we need to make sure that everybody sees the best in it which was yeah Yeah. quite a big pressure for everybody involved I guess yeah um but no I think yeah I mean we to be honest we didn't get your commentary because we were at the race but I'm sure you did a fantastic job (laughs) Um, I could say (laughs) (laughs) um Danny it's been so great to talk to you it's been fascinating to hear about your career and everything you've been doing and your perspective on things um I could talk to you I'm sure we could both talk to you for another hour but we won't keep you because I'm sure it sounds like you're very busy and you've got a lot to get on with um but yeah thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us today no worries thanks very much for having me super interesting to hear from Danny kind of the BTS of commentary and DSing and kind of what she's been getting up to really since she stopped racing and she sounds like she doesn't really ever stop and I was exhausted hearing her schedule I don't know about you yeah she's one of those just crazy busy athletes honestly some of them when they retire like they then end up doing even more work like I would I would be sitting on my pension at home I know you don't get a pension for retiring from cycling (laughs) but you know (laughs) No, really, really nice to talk to her. I I don't know what I was expecting going into the conversation, but I learned a lot from her and like, it was just really, really interesting to hear from her. So we hope you enjoyed that one. We certainly did. Um, 
we were saying to her actually I don't know if you kept it and told her but like it's quite funny because she was apologizing for talking so much and it's actually nice for us because it's like we sit and listen to just like a live podcast that we're (laughs) just on so we kind of get to sample it too which is nice but um yeah hope you guys enjoyed it and stay tuned for next week when we're talking to someone who knows who it'll be stay tuned (laughs) yeah see you next week everyone okay bye a rich man's world I have turned the song of this beautiful land but that beautiful heart a rich man's